fire, fire away. Uh, guides are in the back, so feel free to grab one of those. And let me pray for us. Jared, you got me on? I don't hear myself, but I trust you can. Okay, let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy and for your guidance to us through your word. Uh, Father, please continue to help us to understand the design that you have for us as men and women to increasingly walk in that uh, for our good and for your glory and uh, for the flourishing of the church and our families uh, and the world as unbelievers see the beauty that you've given to us in your design. So we thank you, Father. We praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so first couple of weeks of the class, we spent some time considering the most uh, sustained passages in the Bible about what it means to be male and female. So now that we have a basic approach for masculinity and femininity, we just want to fill out the skeleton as it relates to the home, the church, the workplace, and the world. So, this evening we're going to start with the home, the family. And as we do, let me just say somewhat out of necessity that these next two weeks are going to be mostly marriage-centric. Uh, they're going to be the most marriage-centric of the course. And that's simply because scripture texts treat marriage as a common experience for many men and women. And so it sometimes discusses the interplay between masculinity and femininity in the home within the context of marriage. But before we get into the family, it's essential for us to begin with the condition that all Christians begin life in and that all Christians will be in for all eternity once we die which is actually singleness, which is, again, if you know me, you know that I, that's just so strange, but, you know, I just don't know how that's going to work, but it is. So consider this first section something of a prologue before we begin biblical manhood in the home proper. So we've got a little prologue here, okay, and we will understand masculinity and femininity in family better if we begin by looking, as it were, outside the nuclear family, uh, to think about biblical masculinity and femininity in the context of singleness. So, two main points. Uh, point number one, the Bible celebrates singleness for men and women. Marriage isn't superior to singleness. Unlike some religions and cultures, the New Testament really just praises the value of single life. You could listen to first you could listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 8. He says, quote, to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. End quote. And then he says later in the chapter, quote, to the or the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. End quote. So, according to Scripture, singleness enables the Christian to serve God with undivided affections and attention. It's a gift to be embraced, not a curse to be avoided, or some inferior state. You don't need to be married 
or have children to be fully masculine or feminine. And we know that because who's our primary example? Jesus himself, right? Jesus himself, the greatest exemplar of biblical manhood. We know from Matthew 22.30 that, of course, and we also know from Matthew 22.30 that in the course of eternity, there is going to be no giving and receiving in marriage. So this institution of marriage will cease because we'll all be married to our Lord Jesus Christ, as it were, uh, as the bride of Christ. And marriage, of course, is just a temporary picture designed to point us to that ultimate reality in the first place, which, by the way, is why we don't have the freedom to mess with it um, because of what it points us to. Just a side note. Um, but nonetheless, so in this season, whether we're single or we're married, this season is ultimately to prepare us for that season, that season of eternity. Okay? And not only that, but so the Bible celebrates singleness for men and women. That's numero uno. Numero two is the single Christian expresses manhood or womanhood in the family of God. So single believers may be unmarried for a season or for their whole life, but they are indeed part of a family, and that's the local church. And they can serve their church family in distinctly masculine or feminine ways. Here are just a few suggestions. Many of these apply to, to married men and women too, but here I just want to focus for a moment on those who are unmarried or widowed. So for single men, remember from Genesis 2.15 that Adam's job description was to work the garden and to keep it, which we explained as a charge to provide for and protect the sphere of responsibility God entrusted him. And from this, there are a number of applications that we could make for single men's relationships in the family of God, okay? First, you can provide for other men spiritually, okay? So single men, you can provide for other men spiritually. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Fundamentally, it's helping others follow Jesus. Paul told Timothy to treat younger men as brothers, 1 Timothy 5.1. Find a younger man and show him brotherly love by discipling him in the word. Okay, that's number one. Number two, you could also provide for the ministry financially. So in some situations, single men may be able to give more money now than you could if you were also caring for a wife and a children. So if the Lord has blessed you with material resources, I encourage you to faithfully and joyfully steward it well. Acts 20.35 says, It is more blessed to give than receive. Second, you can take responsibility as a member to protect the church in its doctrine. So, you know, your job as a man is to provide and to protect. So you can provide in various ways. You can protect in protecting doctrine. Study the word for your own soul first. And then do it so that you might be equipped to teach others faithfully. And then third, building off of that, you should, and I, this is something I want to hear, I want every man to please hear. Every man, you should strive to be an elder someday, or at least walk in the integrity that characterizes elders, according to the qualifications of 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So part of that includes managing your household well, right? So what does that look like for a single man? Well, includes your finances, 
Uh, it includes like keeping your actual life in some form of sane fashion, right? Your your calendar and your your work and your your living space and your car and your rent and your finance. Just like having that in order, okay? That's that's appropriate, um, and it's it's moving towards. Um, uh, I lost my spot. I'm sorry. It's moving towards uh, managing your household well, okay? Uh, It also looks like being dependable in your relationships and pure in your thought life. So, strive to be an elder someday, or at least one who walks in the integrity that characterizes elders, managing your household well. And then lastly, uh, different ways you could protect and provide, right? Lastly, protect the ladies in the church in appropriate ways. So, whether it's helping them move whether it's helping them with projects around their house or with vehicles that may need assistance with or raking leaves, it's the fall, right? Whatever it may be, you can protect the ladies in appropriate ways through various different acts of service. And remember, part of protecting women is to treat them, in the words of Paul to Timothy, with absolute purity. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 2. So that's just some words for single men. Uh, let me give you some words for single ladies in the house. All single ladies, all single ladies. Uh, all right. So first, we saw in Genesis 2:18 that Eve was created as Adam's suitable helper. That was not in my notes, by the way. Um, just kind of came to me. We saw in Genesis 2:18 that Eve was created as Adam's suitable helper. And this means that you can express your femininity through a helpful, encouraging, eager-to-serve disposition. So, take that posture and apply it to your service to church as a single woman. So, for example, the elders who lead the church are men. I can tell you from experience, we need your encouragement so that we continue to shepherd the people well. But we also need your input so that we are aware of any blind spots so that we can pastor our church better. Your wisdom and your perspective is invaluable. Um, And also, by the way, so is your instinct to trust the elders and extend a willingness to help with whatever is needed. I exhort you sisters to see this as a significant role in building up the body of Christ. That's number one. Secondly... It's also feminine to nurture the spiritual health of other women. Adam called his wife Eve, meaning giver of life. We can infer from this that femininity involves nurturing life in others, not only physical life through being a mother, that's obvious. Most, many women will do that. But cultivating spiritual life, which all Christian women should be doing. Listen to Paul's instruction Uh, In Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, Paul says, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Note that you do not need to be married to teach other women about marriage. 
all you need is the word of God to help nurture life in other women in a motherly or sisterly way. Example, elderly women, pass, elderly woman passing out scripture texts on script, uh, pieces of paper or letting older women, letting younger women know, I'm praying for you. For you youngers, it might mean just sending texts or emails with wisdom and encouragement from God's word to other sisters in the church, right? There are ways you can do this. And to that end, cultivate spiritual beauty as you relate to your brothers in Christ, married and unmarried. Peter's instruction to wives is certainly applicable to single women from 1 Peter 3, verse 4. Hear this quote. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. And I don't think Peter is primarily talking about personality here. Don't make that mistake and think, well, I'm not... I'm not quiet, so I must not, I must not fulfill that. This isn't primarily talking about personality. You can be outgoing and talkative and still obey this verse. He's talking about a woman who is content in the Lord, caring towards others, committed to the good of the church, and not self-centered when it comes to her own reputation and physical appearance. Okay, so let me just put a quick pause in here and give you a second to ask any questions so far from what we've talked about. So we're talking about biblical masculinity and femininity in the home, but before we do that, we're kind of just backing up a little bit, reminding ourselves that the role of men is to protect and to provide, and the role of ladies is to encourage and have a helpful and life-giving disposition, and we're kind of just looking at it from 30,000 feet and reminding ourselves that we're all part of a family, whether you're married or not, the family of the local church. And so men, here are ways, if you're single, where you can be doing this in the context of the church. Ladies, if you're single, here's ways you can be doing this in the context of the local church. Any questions about that? Sonia? I just think that's unbalanced counsel uh, that she's giving. I don't think that's good counsel, okay? Um, so I think it's better for moms to give their girls counsel that being married is wonderful and being a mom is wonderful. And this is such a glorious and awesome privilege. And, sweetie, wouldn't it be wonderful if God blesses you with this one day? And then also focus on the caveat of saying, yet God doesn't give this to all. And if he doesn't give this to you, well, then, honestly, that's a blessing too, Sweet Pea, because guess what you can do? You can wholeheartedly devote your energy more single-mindedly to the things of Christ 
uh, then even daddy or mommy can. So I think it's more of a, it, it is, it's clearly a, a bit more of an exception than the rule. Um, so I don't think that we'd want to encourage that um, and say this is what you should do um, because it, it seems to be less the norm and more the exception. Um, and I think we should hold up both as good, but I certainly wouldn't discourage marriage. I, I just think that's unbalanced. Good question. Other questions? Okay, let me rock and roll. Biblical masculinity and femininity in the context of marriage. Having talked a bit about single men and women in the family of the church, let's just turn to husbands and wives in the home, and here's the summary. Men and women are created equal, but with distinct God-given roles within the family. The husband lovingly leads as provider and protector, and the wife respectfully submits to her husband as helper. It's important to note that the Bible rejects the assumption that women are inferior to men. The Bible says that men and women are made equal in the image of God. They're of equal value, equal worth, equal dignity. That's Genesis 1, 26 and 27. They are also equally heirs of the kingdom. That's Galatians 3, verse 28. And the Bible also rejects the assumption that submission entails automatic obedience to what is wrong. The Bible rejects the idea that a husband's leadership leads to or justifies oppression or abuse. So if you see abusive leadership of any kind, but especially in the home, that is not biblical. Okay. That said, uh, let's open our Bibles to Ephesians 5 and read 22 through 33. Ephesians 5, we're going to read 22 through 33. DR, I've already got a book, DR. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So here are four observations that we can make from this text. Number one, Paul calls wives to submit to their own husbands as to the Lord. 
So in verse 21, Paul gives a command for Christians to submit to one another in humility. And then starting in verse 22, he shows what he means by turning to a specific relationship that is to be characterized by godly leadership and submission. And he starts with marriage. Wives should submit to their husbands, quote, as to the Lord. Does that mean that they are to regard and treat their husbands as omnipotent kings of the universe? But part of a woman's obedience to Christ is to follow his instruction to submit to the earthly authorities he has ordained. And in the family, that authority is clearly the husband. Also, that phrase, as to the Lord, implies that the wife's first allegiance is to Jesus Christ. And therefore, Paul doesn't in any way expect her to submit to her husband in anything that violates Scripture's commands. Okay? That's number one. Number two, the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. The word head in verse 23 implies authority. That's obvious here because the text also says that Christ is the head of the church. And in verse 24, the church submits to Christ. And that analogy with Christ and the church helps us understand what headship looks like. Right? Very much helpful for us. Brashly barking orders. It is benevolent, loving, servant-minded leadership. The church follows Christ because Christ has proven his love for us by laying down his life, showing his radical commitment for our good. And did you notice the description there in verse 29 that he is to nourish and cherish her? So that's what headship means benevolent leadership and that leads to number three husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church Paul doesn't command husbands to quote be in authority over your wife end quote but rather to love them and to do so just as Christ loved the church so brothers who are married, just think about what this means. It may, for some, mean that you literally lay down your life and die for your wife, okay? But for all husbands, it will certainly mean denying yourself, killing your pride. <laughs> it will mean actively building up your wife spiritually. And even when the day's been hard and you're exhausted, it will mean frequently subordinating your preferences and desires so that you can lead your wife to the glory of God and pursue her joy even more than you pursue your own. So this is kind of a graphic quote that I'm about to read, but I think it drives home a pretty good point. One church father commenting on Ephesians 5.25 says this, quote, Do you wish that your wife would submit to you as Christ, as the church does to Christ? Then care for her as Christ does for the church. And if necessary, that you should give your life for her or be cut in pieces a thousand times or endure anything whatsoever, then refuse it not. Yes, for if you were to suffer in these dreadful ways for your wife, you still would not have done what Christ did for you. For you did this for one with whom you were already united. But he did it for her who, until then, had only rejected him and hated him. That's Chrysostom. 
So husbands, just want you to remember that your role fundamentally is to spend your strength up for your wife's good. Hence, verse 26, Christ gave himself up to sanctify the church. So brothers, look for ways to love her. Look for ways to honor her. Look for ways to build her up and care for her so that she grows in godliness and contentment. Number four, marriage speaks to the world about Christ's relationship with his church. I think this one's awesome. I love this one. Okay. In verses 31 and 32, Paul says that God designed for the institution of marriage to reflect and proclaim Christ's love for his church. God planned from the very beginning for marriage to function in this way, even though that wasn't clear until Christ came. And so what this means is that these instructions for husbands and wives, they are not culturally conditioned. They are not accidental. God designed marriage this way in order to teach the world about his own character and his son's love for his people. So, brothers, that means you have a high calling. Your love or lack of love in marriage, your sacrifice or lack of sacrifice, your activity or passivity is emitting a radio signal out to the world about what Jesus Christ looks like. Okay? So is the radio signal that you're emitting reflecting who Jesus Christ really is, brothers? Right? That's, that's a tough one. In the same way, wives, you have a high calling. Your role in marriage is a parable about how God's people are to respond to Christ. And that is something that this lost world desperately needs to see. Would you say that our world, uh, does our world celebrate the goodness of authority and submission and leadership? <laughs> Absolutely not. Anything that's considered an authority is automatically considered to be wrong and abusive, and bad, okay? Our world celebrates autonomy, independence, self-reliance, and all of these qualities are totally contrary to Christianity. So where can our culture find a model of the trustful, respectful, joyful, happy submission to worthy leadership that is worthy and part of believing in Jesus Christ. They see it in you, Christian wife, right? And what a privilege and high calling that is. So is your, the way you're relating to your husband, is that emitting a radio signal to the world of how wonderful it is to submit to and follow Jesus Christ and to embrace authority as a blessing and not something to be chafed under, right? That's a good and godly thing. And that's a privilege. Well, let me just pause right there because maybe that's a good spot for questions. Do you have any questions right now? Somebody's bound to have something. No questions right now? Okay. I mean, we're on authority and submission. Golly gee, 
would seem like that would be a ripe one to... Okay, let's rock and roll. Um, I want to talk about a little bit of application. Should a mother work outside the home? That's a, that's a good question. Let's take this framework and apply it to one of the most practical questions that comes up when we start talking about manhood and woman in the family. Should a wife or a mother work to earn income outside the home? Now, we've already seen from Genesis 2 that the man's job is to work and to keep the garden, and his wife is to be his helper. Now, we just also saw in Ephesians 5 that the husband's calling is to nourish and cherish his wife. Adam names his wife Eve because she is the life-giving mother, which speaks to her role in bearing children. Remember that the curses in Genesis 3 specifically affect men and women's previously defined roles. So, the man's job in working the ground is now going to be very difficult. And the wife's bearing of children is now going to be very painful. I could go into some joke about delivery room stuff, but I haven't cleared that with my wife, so I'm not going to do that. Um, Okay. Now, men certainly don't only need to put bread on the table, and not all women can have children. But all of this means that the husband's role as provider and protector and the wife's role as the primary one to care for children is not some cultural construct or a traditional view, okay? I mean, isn't that like totally what's being dogged on now? If it, like the traditional family. Oh, well, we're not in the 1950s anymore, right? Well, it's not, I mean... Okay, maybe it is the traditional view, but it's just it's being put forth by Scripture as that which is good for our flourishing. This is not something that's culturally conditioned. This is something that's normative in Scripture over culture, over time. This is what's being put forth. And it's, it's just part of God's creation order. I mean, even the physical fact that a woman's body is designed to feed her young reminds us of this, right? All right, but how does this speak to our family lives today? Now remember, the question isn't, should a mother work? The assumption is that husbands and wives both work full time. The question is whether that work happens, is, I'm sorry, is where that work happens and whether it earns a paycheck. That's important to remember in our day where one's job is often wrongly the key to our identity. So work for many, brothers and sisters, isn't merely a means for food and shelter. It is self-expression. It is purpose for life. It is fulfillment. It is identity. And for many, it's the number one idol in their heart. Okay? Work. Now, don't get me wrong. Work inside or outside the home is certainly meaningful and important, but work makes a terrible God, okay? (laughs) Serving the God of work is a terrible idol to serve if you're finding your primary identity there, okay? Well, the Bible doesn't give us a law on whether a married woman, particularly one who has children to care for, should earn a paycheck outside the home or not, but... That doesn't mean that the Bible is silent on the distinctive tendencies that God has given us as men and women. 
With this topic, we are firmly in the category of biblical wisdom, okay? Wisdom may be applied differently in different situations. For example, single mothers don't exactly get the luxury of asking this question. If you are a single mom, as my mom was, you have the difficult and exhausting task of being both provider and helper to your family, okay? Your diligence in that task is as admirable as it is challenging. And we should also remember that in many families, both parents may need to work in order to earn an income out of necessity, okay? So we should remember that. One key passage to consider is Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so to train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. Some Christians have interpreted Titus 2.5, which says that wives should be, quote, working at home or busy at home to mean that any and all work outside the home is inappropriate. But the fact that the wife should primarily care for the home doesn't imply that she shouldn't ever work outside the home. The point of this phrase, consistent with the entire Bible all the way back again to Genesis, is that a woman should take care of it as her God-given responsibility, her primary responsibility, to cultivate her home, providing a godly and nurturing environment for her family, regardless of whatever else she does. It could be helpful here to clarify what we mean by home. So, critics of this verse have complained that it advances an oppressive 1950s Martha Stewart-esque domesticity. Boy, that was a hard word to get out, but I got it out. All right. Domesticity, as if the essence of biblical womanhood is being a domestic diva who makes every meal from scratch, and it's all her kids' clothes by hand. Scripture, scripture <laughs> I got an oh yeah from the front. All right. Thankfully, Scripture does not equate working at home with fitting some cultural mode of a homemaker. The home, biblically speaking, is primarily about people and relationships. I want you to hear this. I think this is really good. The home, biblically speaking, is primarily about people and relationships. It has much more to do with those who live in the house and their spiritual well-being than the house itself. I would commend you, Courtney Resig's book, The Accidental Feminist, for more on this. Listen to her on this point. Quote, The purpose of the home is not to showcase all of your nice things and reveal that you have arrived as a domestic goddess. The purpose of the home is about feeding souls, providing a refuge for the weary, and living generously. The home is a place of work. It's a place where life happens. The home is not the pinnacle of greatness. Christ is. God cares about our home because of so much life that happens there. End quote. Now, where do we see this scriptural view of a woman being primarily oriented toward the good of her home? Well, we see it in the same place where we see a woman engaging in successful business outside the home, actually. <laughs> Proverbs 31 
So that woman depicted there has many responsibilities that fall outside the immediate contours of her home. She buys and sells land, plants vineyards, starts a textile business, but this is very important, but all of this is done to the end of caring well for her family and fulfilling her responsibilities to them. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household. And so, verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed. I think this is really key too. She does not embark on her entrepreneurial endeavors in a quest to find herself or to express herself or to make a name for herself. She does so to serve her family. I think that's really important. She does it to serve her family. And in the end, uh, it's from her family and especially from her husband that she receives due honor and praise. I think that's really important, ladies, as you're thinking about working outside the home. Is it, is it something that you're wanting to do to... Are you really just running away from the frustrations of being a mom or a wife, right? Uh, or, or are you trying to find something more exciting and, and, and more fun, um, that, that, that wouldn't be a good thing. You can see here in this Proverbs 31 woman that, that she's, she's doing many things out the, outside the home. She's very, very industrious, but she's doing it with the purpose of serving her home, and that's her motivation. So here are some questions to consider regarding whether or not a mother should undertake some enterprise outside the home. Not surprisingly, number one, what are, what are her motives for doing this? Does she want to make a name for herself outside the home, desiring the praise of the world? Uh, is she looking for some self-expression or self-fulfillment? Uh, Susie might work because she cares mainly about prestige. Sally may also work, but mainly because she wants to bless her family and her community, and she's able to earn good money while still putting her first energies toward her home. There is a difference in those motives, and I'd say that difference makes all the difference in the world. Number two, to what degree is her paycheck necessary? We can certainly imagine situations where both spouses need to work outside the home to make ends meet. We've got to be careful here. If a certain amount of money seems like a necessity, it is possible that the family is aiming for too high of a lifestyle. That's a possibility. Merely keeping up with the Joneses isn't sufficient reason alone for mom to take a job. And don't forget... A wife's work at home carries significant financial value in addition to all the other spiritual benefits, right? The Wall Street Journal regularly does studies on the replacement value of a stay-at-home mother, and it concludes that if you were to hire professionals to do all the things that a homemaker does, it would be equivalent to a salary of, can anybody take a guess? 140. Anybody else want to take a guess? 150. Two million. Two million. Whoa. We need to play more. We need, we need to. I believe I have more realistic money expectations. They say it's, it's equivalent to a salary of over $100,000. Over $100,000. That's pretty significant. So, uh, thirdly, what gifts, talents, opportunities, and stewardships has God given the wife in this particular season of life, right? I think we need to think in seasons 
oftentimes in our lives. We have particular seasons, and those seasons demand differing responsibilities of us and embracing certain things in some seasons, saying no to certain things in some seasons, saying yes to different things in some other seasons, right? Uh, how old are the kids? You know, what kind of care do they require? What will it look like to cultivate a consistently sacrificial lifestyle? Will a secular job increase or diminish her abilities to be a godly wife or a godly mother? Also, keep in mind that a decision about whether to work outside the home shouldn't be just a unilateral one on the part of the woman or the husband. Rather, a wife and her husband should make it together under his leadership as the head of the marriage and the family. So the question isn't, can a mother work outside the home? Of course, she has the ability and the biblical warrant to do so. The question is, how does she wisely arrange her priorities to be that life-giving helper who brings health and stability to the family? That actually brings us to the end of the content. So I want to open up to questions on what we've talked about in this last section or anything thus far. And I'll remind you, the next time we go more into roles in the home. So we're going to talk more about submission, more about leadership next Sunday as well. So there's more to come. Any questions on this most recent material or on anything tonight? Rachel? Would you suggest that if the husband and wife talk about it and agree and decide that the wife is better suited to work outside the home and the husband is better personality-wise to take care of children, would that be okay? I don't think it's entirely off limits. I think that's very, very abnormal. Um, I, I think the overall concept of the dad-mom is not the the normative picture that you see in Scripture. I would not go so far as to say that it is sin, uh, but I would say that it's highly abnormal um, and... Yeah, I think I'd just say that. Yeah. So perhaps more concrete example. Uh, Forty some odd years ago, Margaret Thatcher was the British Prime Minister. Ah, yes. How does that fit in the context of Scripture? I heard. Uh, I heard Al Mohler. No, it wasn't Al Mohler. It was another Christian leader. I can't remember. Uh, and he was ex extolling the leadership of Margaret Thatcher and noting how much uh, what he felt like was good uh, in the world done by her. And he just kind of remarked, he's like, I wonder what her home life was, was like, you know? I, I don't know, right? So I don't think that there's anything wrong with a woman leading in a position like that what that's going to look like in their home and how things are going to work in that home, I just, I don't know. Chris? How would you, if, if you were a woman and your kids have, you're a Christian, you've left the house, you don't need to work from a financial standpoint, but you're like, hey, i got all sorts of time now. How would you... I think the questions of what can I do with my one little life that's most effective for the kingdom are the best questions to ask in seasons like that. What can I do with my one little life that's most effective for the kingdom? The question is, I am. Uh, what if the kids are, are 
are out of the house now, and so now I have a lot more free time. Uh, how should I think through what I do? And I think the answer is, you ask the question, what can I do with my one little life that's most effective for the kingdom? Not necessarily, okay, well, now I can just go get a job and I can be much more helpful uh, to our, you know, banking retirement. Uh, so I think, not that that's necessarily wrong. And, you, and sometimes when kids are getting out of the house, they're also getting into college, which means the expense category is going like this for a while. And so it may be helpful for the mom to, to jump in and to help. That's totally legit. So I just think you need to ask yourself, what can I do with my one little life that's most effective for the kingdom? So if the money's not needed, then I would, you know, then, then think about are there other things, other people that need serving, need helping, other things that could be done in the church, and, and think about that. Nikki. How do you change, I guess it's C, for the situation where, you know, early marriage or marriage where you never had kids? Is there anything about the kind of questions that, that you had asked that would be different in that case? Yeah. I think that obviously if you've never had kids, then you have it requires less time for you to um, be oriented around your home. I think you should still think about your home as the main sphere over which God has blessed you to be a blessing to your husband and to others. So I would just say, in a sense, it's 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 still it's similar um, in that you just want to be thinking, okay, my home is still my primary sphere of where I am to serve and to be a blessing. And so am I able to do that as I'm rocking it? Um, you know, how do I balance those priorities? still just want to think about this as my priority. That's what I'd say. Good questions. Any other questions? You'd like a raise. <laughs> Chris, note that in the minutes. Hundred thousand dollars, my friend. What about um, shepherding daughters towards their decisions with regard to post high school, and you know, hoping that they're going to be Christians who are embracing, loving their homes, and yet there's also time to think about working. You know, when you're, you know, all those things. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you how I'm encouraging Naomi. Uh, obviously, we're encouraging her that it would be if the Lord blesses her with a husband and if she could do what mom does, yet we also want to encourage her to go to college and to get an education and to get an education that would in turn um, set her up to be financially helpful to her husband or her family or to support herself uh, and for her to be a blessing to the local church if she does not get married. So I would encourage you families to encourage your daughters to be equipped and educated so that they could provide for themselves and to be a blessing to their husbands and their local churches or to support themselves if God does not provide for them a husband. Uh, that's what I would say.
just answered it. I was kind of struggling with the answer you gave Chris earlier when she was talking about say the kids have all moved out and, and the answer was to ask yourself, well, what can I do to be most effective for the kingdom? I was like, well, when would that not be just serving in the church? You know, I, I wasn't visualizing the scenario where you might actually go back to work um, or go to work for the first time. And maybe you just answered it as a piece of that part of, you know, you might be able to bless the church more with some of those finances. Okay. Because otherwise it almost sounded like the automatic answer was, well, just serve in the church, don't go to work. Oh, I think it's much more nuanced than that. I, I just think we have to be asking ourselves that question at every stage of life. Because uh, I think there are many opportunities, I think there are many uh, things that are always coming at us, and I think that we just need to, and I, I mean, I think I know most of you, most of you are doers. You're like, let's rock and roll. Let's do stuff. So I think we just have to be asking ourselves the question, let's just make sure we have our priorities clear, and we're thinking in terms of eternal matters most, um, and that's what's the, the peak, uh, and then... And then we go from there. Sonia. I just want to say, I think like, when I think of my kids growing up moving out of the house, <coughs> if I didn't need to work for money, I already have like, you know, a whole list of things that I would want to do job-wise that would be like ministry. You know, like, oh, I want to go work in a hospital, do this so I can reach out to mom. I want to do this, I want to do that, I want to do that. And it's all about Jesus, but it also could be a job. You know what I mean? But, but not to downplay serving your local church. But I think, is that kind of what you mean? Like, whatever you're going to do, have at it, but like, let it be with the mindset of the kingdom. Well, remember, so, I mean... Brothers, sisters, whatever you may be doing, whatever your job title is, you're a minister of the gospel doing business as, you know, a dog trainer, right? Uh, you're a minister of the gospel underneath the, the, the doing business as um, a computer programmer. I'm going to, you're, I'm going to, I don't, can't describe the, an engineer, you know, a carpenter. Like all, we're to be doing all things quorum Deo, right? To the glory of God, right? So we want to be thinking how can we leverage our time, treasure, talents for the glory of God, whether we're working uh, in a secular sphere or not, and what secular sphere we choose to work in or not. And all we just need to be thinking how am I leveraging this for the kingdom, right? Yeah. Yes. Things that we've come up with in, you know, for me, I've experienced not here so much as when we lived in New York State. You might see um, the the woman might actually have the potential of making more money than her husband, and in those cases, um, the counsel from the elders of the church. Where you know, really you should be thinking about the husband, and if your job that you have might be very fulfilling for you, might be great for your family's income, but if it makes your husband not feel as though he is the leader, 
in the family, then maybe you should step back from that job. And it might be a sacrifice, but it actually keeps that biblical view of the, the, the man being the leader of the family. And I don't know, you don't see it very much here, but I think in metropolitan areas, it, it can point havoc on. Okay. That's one possibility. That doesn't necessarily have to be the case, obviously. But okay. The goal for you know money plays. I don't Certainly is a possibility, Heather. I don't. I don't negate that. Um, yeah. sinful lifestyle. I mean if he's if he is calling her or if he is uh, wanting her to sin then she has biblical warrant to say no to that. Uh and so if that's taking place then she has biblical warrant to say no. Um and um and if he is just living a sinful or a worldly lifestyle, then I think to her the exhortation would be the exhortation in First um, Peter. First Peter chapter 5. I believe it's 5. Maybe wrong. Yeah, sorry, it's not 5. First uh, Peter three. Likewise, wives. It's First Peter three, verse one. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, uh, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So, I would say if if a husband is just a stinker. Uh, and living a sinful and worldly lifestyle, she would want to use her influence to encourage him to not live a worldly lifestyle. If he is not a Christian, then all she can do is encourage and use her influence there. If he is a Christian and he's living in sin, then she has a responsibility to call him to repentance. And if he is not repenting, then she should talk to the elders of the church and they in turn call him to repentance. That's what I would say. But anytime there's physical abuse, you just need to call the authorities and then you need to call the elders. And if there's a question about emotional abuse, 
then I think you need to call the elders. Any other questions? Those are good questions. Those are all very good questions. So, um, it's good for them to remain single on the surface of it seems to fly in the face and be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> I'm sorry? The, the statement of it's good to remain single seems to be somewhat contradictory with being fruitful and multiplying. Yeah. I know it seems, well, it's certainly, you know, if you are single, you're not going to be able to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, so that's true. Uh, however, you can be spiritually fruitful and multiply in the way you minister the gospel. I actually really mean that because I, I think the creation mandate is not simply have babies. I think the creation mandate finds its fullest expression in the Great Commission, uh, believe it or not. And so you can do that whether you're married or single. And just the reality of how things work is that a, a large amount of people typically get married lesser remain single for their entire life uh, God in his goodness and in his wisdom and his providence seem to see fit to provide appropriate biblical encouragement for those in that sphere to say this is good it's not a contradiction he's just encouraging appropriately those in this sphere of life that this is good don't think this isn't it is it's good it's very good does that make sense Okay, I think that uh, brings us up to the conclusion of our time. So let me pray for us. And next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Father, thank you for this time, for these brothers, for these sisters, for these good questions. As we think about the implications of these things, give us wisdom in the application of your word in our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.